Hi everyone, you are listening to the first episode of Alpaca My Bags. And let me tell you, Alpaca My Bags to go to any destination around the world. At any moment, I'm literally itching to travel 24 hours a day. And on that note, you might be wondering, why is this podcast called this? It's a reference to a joke that Ellen DeGeneres tells that made me laugh out loud. It goes like this. What did the llama say when he got kicked off the farm? I'll pack in my bags. <laughs> so this joke is always bopping around in my head, and it's travel related, and that's what we are here to talk about. So my name is Erin, and I'm your host. I'm a freelance travel writer and self-admittedly a travel addict. Um, in this podcast, I'm going to be inviting other travel enthusiasts on to discuss specific destinations, share travel stories, and to talk about controversial tourist activities and trends. I'm interested in exploring the ethics of travel in hopes of figuring out how we can balance the privilege of travel with being a conscientious traveler. Um, so to kick things off, we are talking today about Cambodia. And on the show today to discuss this, I have my two dear friends, Senna and Joy. The three of us backpack Cambodia in the fall of 2016. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey. So to dive right into it, we're going to talk about the tourist trend in Cambodia, in which tourists pay a lot of money, typically around 200 USD, to go by car tuk-tuk to a shooting range where they can choose from a selection of weapons to shoot. This includes assault rifles, hand grenades, and bazookas. And rumor has it that if you want to shoot live livestock, so some people shoot chickens, but you can even shoot a cow, um, you can do this if you're willing to pay 400 USD. Um, last year, an Australian tourist was killed in an accident on one of these ranges, but aside from that, people report that the experience is really safe. The New York Times published an article which reported some tourists who come to Cambodia specifically for this, uh, and apparently some pay up to 7,000 USD in just one visit at one shooting range. Um, so apparently there's advertisements for these ranges all over hostels in Cambodia. Do you guys remember seeing them in hostels or like anywhere? I remember seeing them, um, but I can't remember what it was visually like. I remember seeing pictures of guns on the actual advertisements, just AK-47s and things like that. Mm -hmm. I remember also when we were doing our like preliminary Googling of Cambodia that it came up on TripAdvisor, kind of like, you can shoot real guns. Yeah, <laughs> That's a selling point. Come yeah. to Cambodia, fire a gun. I also feel like we saw on posters images of people like happily holding assault rifles at a shooting range. So I actually did some digging on the internet and I found one hostel that has an ad for this online. It's the Mad Monkeys Hostel. Um, and so I guess they advertise this online, hoping that tourists that are coming to their hostel will want to do it. Um, so this is what the, the advertisement reads. Are you a backpacker that wants to fire big, chunky guns? <laughs> if you've never shot a gun before, then this will be your baptism of fire. You'll be able to shoot a sidearm pistol, an AK-47, throw a grenade, shoot a light machine gun, and even fire a rocket launcher. For maximum enjoyment, take a few shots at a half-full propane cylinder and watch it explode when you hit it dead on. I don't know how I feel about this ad. <laughs> yeah, yikes. I think it's really over the top. 
it does it's not selling it to me personally i don't have any desire to have that kind of power yeah and it's just something it makes me uncomfortable i think just the idea of just some sort of vacation where you can shoot things even if they aren't real just uh, just the way that they're advertising it like you can participate in this like military setting i mean and then also contextually in cambodia like that's really heavy too that you're going from you might be coming from like the killing fields and then you're off to do this activity it just kind of sits it doesn't sit well with me (laughs) yeah i agree it makes me really uncomfortable i think even here like if i had the opportunity to go shoot a gun i don't have that drive um but obviously people want to but it just reminds me of this whole thing like oh, when you're traveling, you can go to someplace else and not think about the consequences and just pay money and do this wild thing um, without thinking about the context that you're in. It just Mm -hmm. makes me super uncomfortable. It's almost like the morals that you would uphold yourself to in your home country don't have the same value when you're in another country or you just let them go when Mm -hmm. you're in another country. Mm -hmm. And I think... It's important to contextualize in case listeners don't know that uh, Cambodia had a really devastating genocide in the late 90s. um, And the killing fields that we're referring to are an area where they would bring Cambodian citizens and really violently kill them and then leave them in mass graves. So Cambodia has a really devastating and recent history that I feel like when we were there was really inescapable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And going there, I didn't actually know that much about this history. I really learned a lot of it in Phnom Penh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was, or realizing, I can't remember the exact age, but just knowing that the adults that we met in Cambodia had survived the genocide mm-hmm. was very like eye-opening. Because um, this is very recent mm-hmm. memory. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you how other people feel about this phenomenon, and this is according to TripAdvisor. So I just went to TripAdvisor and I looked up one of these popular shooting ranges um, because I was curious about what people wrote in the reviews, and it's, I think, quite revealing. So one guy with the username MasterDog writes... (laughs) Can we just talk about... MasterDog? MasterDog? Like it's spelled... Master D A W G. That's how you know he's a master doll. <laughs> so he writes, so crazy and dope place, but then again, secure and legit. You have people picking you up and driving you back to the hotel. You shoot with every kind of weapon, blow away things, and have fun like a little boy. <laughs> if you go to Phnom Penh, this is a must visit place. Um, and then it's definitely important to note that accompanying this review is a photo of three dudes with beaming smiles standing in a power stance holding what I think are rocket launchers. I think, like, I'm not all that familiar with mass weapons. <laughs> that, yeah. that reassures me. <laughs> um, and to contextualize, the shooting range has five stars. All the reviews are, like, glowing. The other reviews read, best trip ever, money well spent, highlight of my trip to Cambodia. Like, should we have done this in Cambodia? Would it have been the highlight of our trip if we had gone and fired pay, rocket launchers? that much money. <laughs> yeah, and like, something too that I thought I would mention is that I, like, I don't, I definitely don't endorse it, but I can see how 
Cambodia is tapping into these kinds of people who would do this. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, like that does make sense. Like clearly there is a thriving, weirdly thriving market, but yeah, we are not part of that market. And Um, this brings up like a point that I think is really interesting because, so hold on, I'm going to find it. There's another review where a guy talks about how this is just Cambodia and they're crazy and they see no problem with this and they might as well profit off this. They know there's a market. They're making literally hundreds of USD off tourists. So in that sense, it's like, well, then they might as well. It's legal. No one's doing anything illegal. Um, So why wouldn't Cambodians want to profit off this? Yeah. For me, I'm thinking more about the tourists and the ethics of them wanting to do this and not really thinking through like the context of the place but i'm all for people taking advantage of tourists (laughs) honestly or like (laughs) take their money yeah that's that's exactly how i feel (laughs) yeah like if they're you know like if you if you have the money and you want to give it to the local economy yes do it yeah (laughs) but you're right but the actual yeah like, but it's the actual <laughs> ethics of, yeah, just people being so gun and weapon crazy. Um, and this guy, Master Dog, being like, oh, I felt like a little boy shooting this. Okay, so this like, is what a, does that mean? This is a good segue into one element that I wanted to bring up, which is that it's really obvious that these reviews are mostly written by men. Um, I'll also note that mostly white men who seem to be from Australia, North America, and Europe. Um, There were a couple reviews in there, like, sprinkled in that were written by women. But interestingly, like, every review that I read that was by a woman, like, she noted that she was there with her boyfriend or with her male friends, and she was always speaking to their experience rather than her own. I couldn't find a single review where it was, like, some women being like, I just really wanted to fire a rocket launcher. So I guess what I'm positing is that this might be a male-dominated activity. Um, so do you guys think there's a reason that male tourists are more interested in doing this? Yeah, like my my guess would be because weaponry and firing guns in the military is a masculinized, masculinized activity. Yeah, I mean, I'm inclined just to be like, they want the power trip. (laughs) Also that. (laughs) Like it just, even the reviews, right, are. And you get get that sense from the photos too, from the power stance and like the serious look they're giving, like they're clearly imagining themselves. Yeah, like they're playing war or, you know, they're playing like like dress up. Yeah, (laughs) it's a good way to put it. Like, feeling in control, feeling dominant. Mm-hmm. I'd be really curious to talk with the people who run these ranges. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see what their insights are, especially from a gendered perspective mm-hmm. on this. They must, like, the people watching at those ranges. Must be very interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so in 2012, the New York Times published a piece on the phenomenon of these Cambodian shooting ranges. And I was really interested in this paragraph. Um, in which the author Simon Marks touches on the history of Cambodia. 
So he writes that visitors often talk about the odd, somewhat uncomfortable juxtaposition of coming to the range after a trip to the Khmer Rouge era S-21 prison in Phnom Penh, where thousands were tortured and sent for execution at the killing fields on the capital's outskirts. It's definitely important to note that like anyone who goes to Cambodia visits these killing fields. Um, for us, it was the f- first thing we did in Cambodia. We arrived uh, one night, like slept a night in our hotel, and the next morning we were at the killing fields. So that was like our first segue into like the history of Cambodia. Um, so this paragraph resonated with me because although I had so many incredible, beautiful experiences in Cambodia, there's definitely a grim undertone to traveling there. And I think like we all felt that while we were there because you're really forced to face the reality of the country's history. Um, and you can see that people are healing from the genocide that happened like really not that long ago. As Senna was saying, like you're meeting people who definitely survived it. We were born when this genocide was happening, like it happened in our lifetime. Um, so New York Times goes on to talk about this Aussie guy named Steve Lee, who regularly goes to Cambodia just to do this. Um, and he says that these ranges are just real people having a good time and making a living, but it's done Cambodian style. So he's reflecting what we talked about before about this just like being okay in Cambodia. And maybe like it's a frame of thinking that like, why do we have why do we have this aversion to the like using a weapon? Is it do you think it has to do with the fact that like Canada, where we have grown up, it's illegal and like we've never seen a gun in our lives? I think so. Uh, but then that brings up a good point. Like, I've never had to fire a gun. I've never had access to it, but also not been in a situation or context where I had to fire a gun at someone or even think about it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that makes it easier for tourists to do it as like a fun tourist activity. Yeah, yeah, because it's not because it's, it's not normalized it's, for us, yeah. which is good. <laughs> or removed, like it's removed from you know having actual memories of violence, being shot at, gunfire. Mm-hmm. Which brings up another element I'm interested in, which is like, where do you think these weapons came from? Do you think they were involved in the war? And the people that are running this range, it makes, like you just said, do you think it's traumatic for them to have to be doing this? I don't know. I wonder if they are... I was doing a bit of reading before we did this, and I saw one blog mention that they're left over from the genocide, which sounds really dark. I don't know, though, if that's true. Sounds dark, but it would make sense. But it would make sense. (laughs) It's not like weapons just disappear. Yeah. Yeah. And it would explain why they clearly have a surplus of these weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, surplus enough that like they're letting tourists fire them. Mm-hmm. So another element of this is the animal thing. Um, I wasn't able to find like any actual proof that tourists have fired missiles at cows. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> What do you guys think about this? Like, what? Imagine you met a tourist while we were in Cambodia and he was like, Yeah, I fired a missile at a cow. Like, how do you react to that? That, I mean, I don't even know. I think it's along the same spectrum for me. Like, if you're going to shoot a missile at a propane tank, what would stop you from shooting at a live animal? To me, that's along the same spectrum. Um, 
just takes it to another level. Yeah, because you're taking a life. You're taking mm-hmm. a life, but of that removal of like, oh, no consequences. I can pay my money. I can, I have the power to leave this place. Yeah. And I have the privilege to do this right now. Mm-hmm. So do you think that this activity says anything about Western or like, like white tourists? The fact that we're so willing to to do this because it's clearly a really popular activity. Um, yeah, I don't. I'm thinking about that question. I know all of the reviews seem to be from white people or Western people in Australia or North America, or Europe. But I can also see like some someone from China with money coming to Cambodia and doing this. So I think it's more about the power dynamic between different nations and who has the funds to travel to Cambodia mm-hmm. because we would meet locals and we meet locals in other places in Southeast Asia being like, Oh, I could never come to Canada. Like I just don't, I can't, I don't have the means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think you're like totally on point with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if we go back to Cambodia, do you guys want to go Shoot an assault rifle? No. <laughs> no. I just think That's... about what I would tell my parents. I, I could never yeah. tell I anyone. Just, I couldn't justify, like, yeah, I've never had that kind of, yeah, I've never had an urge to shoot a gun or even, like, touch a gun. Yeah. Yeah, it same. doesn't appeal to me. Like, the most I engage with it is playing Call of Duty. I know, <laughs> and even that is, also... like, shameful for me. Also, for literally no reason other than to shoot a gun. Like, literally no other reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, so... It's just wild to me. Experimentally, I asked... I I typically travel with my boyfriend. I was curious about what he would think about this, because we weren't in Cambodia together, although we were in other parts of Asia together. Um, And it's important to note that we're really budget-savvy travelers. So we don't spend money on things that, like seem pointless to us and so I asked him because I was genuinely interested in what he would say his first question was how much does it cost and when I told him he was like no let's not do that (laughs) yeah well I well that was one of my first thoughts too or like a question I asked myself I'm like oh if it costs say five USD or something impossible would I do it and I still wouldn't because to me, it's not about the price. It's about not wanting to shoot a gun, mm-hmm. especially if I don't have to, especially if it's for leisure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't sit. Yeah, that doesn't sit It's well not a question me. of money. It's more about like, yeah, like just ethically. not wanting to. <laughs> yeah. So like having no interest. Yeah, no interest in weapons or destroying things. I would honestly be afraid. Yeah. I I was in New Orleans once couch surfing and the people I was staying with were like Southern Americans and I asked them, I was like, do you have any guns? And the guy was like, yeah, you want to go go into a field? Like, I'll let you shoot my, my rifle. And I was like, no, I genuinely don't want to do that. I have no desire to hold a gun, let alone like be near one. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so traveling in Cambodia isn't all like massive guns. 
Um, there's other things to do there, as we discovered during our three weeks backpacking around Cambodia. So just to give you a little background, um, the three of us went to grad school together. Senna and I were friends like throughout grad school, but I had never met Joy before. Um, and we were at a film screening one night, and I had already booked to go to Asia by myself. Um, mm -hmm. And we were sitting there, and I was like, Senna, why don't you come with me? Like, you, you can take time off work. And then this exploded into like all three of us wanting to go. And Joy was really on board, which was, was awesome because excited. Senna was not into it. I could just see it in <laughs> her eyes. Some convincing. She was like, no, <laughs> she did not want to go. But Joy was down. And so I thought, okay, with the power of two of us, we can sway Senna. Pure pressure. And it happened. Yeah. I should say this was also the first time me and Aaron met. And yep. Let's do this. And next thing you know, we were all booked to go to Cambodia. Um, so we're going to tell you a little story about one experience we had in Cambodia. Um, we refer to this experience as Rat Island. It's one of my favorite stories from our trip. I love it so much. So, Senna, can you explain the actual name of this island and why we wanted to go there? So I was doing some, again, just preliminary online research slash maybe not doing my actual job and searching things on Reddit. Um, I think I was literally just searching beautiful beaches in Cambodia. Right. I remember finding this island called Koh Rang Samloam that people kept bringing up. It kept popping up all the time in forums and I saw photos of it and they didn't look real. The water was so blue. You know, like you couldn't tell where the sky began, where the water started. Um, so I remember sending this to our Facebook group chat and just being like, okay, well, we have to go here. This is on our itinerary. Um, we were also hashtag Cambodias. This was our, our discussion group. This is the yeah. chat name. So I, yeah, so I told Cambodias that we should check out this island. Um, I think actually, Erin, you were the one who found the hostel itself, though, because you were kind of our hostel gal. Yes. Um. <laughs> so I love looking at hostels. I just, I love reading reviews of hostels, picking hostels. I especially love finding the cheapest hostels I possibly can, which is how this hostel came to my uh, attention. It was dirt cheap. It was like two USD a night. And like, I don't think I read the reviews. I was just like, we have to go here. Um, and it was on this part of the island that was really hard to reach. You had to take a boat somewhere and then another boat, and then you had to do a little bit of a beach hike to get to it. So it sounded really cool. Like it had mm -hmm. the beach vibes, you know, the like Leonardo DiCaprio movie where he goes <laughs> to Thailand. So I was imagining us like on this like remote beach with no access to anything and like with the phosphorescent algae in the water. It sounded like heaven. Um, and it was two USD, so it was really easy to sell you guys on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what a steal. <laughs> so then the stickler was that when I went digging through the reviews, some of the reviews were mentioning rats. And I think I remember saying to you guys, oh, people, when they rev review hostels, like, they always focus on the bad. Like, yeah. it's probably nothing, just mm -hmm. people getting too dramatic about yeah. And that's also, I think we were all downplaying it. We were taking it with a grain of salt. Like, we're going to be outside. We're in the jungle. Of course, there's animals. Of course, there's rats. Yeah. I think we also were like, oh, we're tough. You know, we, it's the island. It's an island. It's an island. It's not like we're expecting to be inside. We're not divas. Some... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't mind a rat or two. 
I've seen rats in my yeah. life. But this is where like an important point of the story comes in which is that when you're from North America you don't know what real rats look like especially jungle rats because jungle rats are like triple the size of any rat I've ever seen in North America city rats they're nothing they're nothing you know in Princess Bride (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know in Princess (laughs) Bride it's like in Princess Bride when there's that big rat yeah killer rats killer jungle rats okay so anyways we thought that this was all not real and so we decided to just go and we did and we got there and it was beautiful until the night fell so when we (laughs) this is a whole journey unto itself so when we first set foot on the beach we had taken a boat Um, to the beach, gotten off a pier, and then we were immediately met with these Westerner-looking dudes who were all shirtless because it's hot and it's the beach. One of them had a giant stick. Like... (laughs) It was like uh, Lord of the Flies. It was like Lord of the Flies. I think I remember one of you looking at me and saying, is he spearfishing? <laughs> and then we, we got off the boat and we were walking along the beach and then one of you was like, yeah, he's spearfishing. <laughs> and then we asked them and they were like, yeah, we've been trying for like two weeks to catch a fish. <laughs> yeah, we, I think we were greeted perfectly because we basically kept meeting people who kept saying that they only meant to stay there for a day, but they've been here for a week. Yeah, or there were complications in them leaving, or the boat not showing up, and then they just had to turn back and go back to the hostel. So we actually had a very good introduction to the island. It was yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it was... It seemed amazing. promising. Very promising. I was excited. Um, so we checked in, and, and this like hippie guy brought us like down the beach even further, and then up through the jungle and then he brought us to this hut or like cabin Mm -hmm. it was pretty bare bones like yeah bare bones but there must have been at least what 20 beds you think it was like a large structure um with bunk beds and mosquito netting um yeah i will say that when we walked in something we noticed instantly was that everybody's bags were suspended in the air. Everyone had hung their bags on their bunk, not touching the ground, straps tucked in. So this was omen number one. We should have, we should have known from there. We should have paid more attention. Omen number two, I feel, was when we asked someone, have you seen any rats? And they said, yes. That's... (laughs) pretty explicit that's pretty bare bones so we were checked in um the bags were suspended so being like savvy travelers we were like okay we'll we'll uh, suspend our bags too we went back down to the beach had like the most beautiful swim it was like heaven literally heaven on earth um we were like frolicking through the water uh playing on the beach it was so beautiful Um, But then dusk befell us and we went back to the cabin to get a change of clothing. And that's when we started hearing the squeaks. Um, They like they were coming from below us Mm -hmm. and like above and and around and around because around the perimeter of each of the cabins, the rafters that go horizontal. So we later found out they would crawl all along those. (laughs) 
So that was omen number, I think we're at omen number three. So I was feeling a little nervous, but I was like, oh, it's okay. I'm badass. Like, I can deal with this. It's just a rat. That's all it is. And we went back to the, the like, main lodge, and we chilled for the night, and we had a great time. Um, but then bedtime came. Um, so we went back to the cabin. We got into bed. All was normal. Uh, the, we didn't see any rats, so we were like, oh, I guess it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went to sleep. <laughs> I think that was our only sleep. I think that was <laughs> our, our, first our first naive, oblivious night of sleep. You're so naive. I know. That was definitely the best sleep. And as, like, for the next few days, my sleep kept getting worse and worse. So we wake so... up the next morning um, and we notice holes in things. Holes in the mosquito netting where there weren't before. Um... I noticed rat poop right next to my head on the pillow where there wasn't before. So that's your first indication that they're right by you. They literally crawl into the beds. And poop by your head. They're on, yeah. And this this explained all of the massive holes in the net. (laughs) And it really unnerved me because I was like, it's okay if there's a rat like around, but I thought the net would be a deterrent, but they just chew right through them. And then we notice this other girl in our dorm and we look at her and she's like, I didn't sleep at all. There was a rat in my bed. (laughs) And it chewed through her hat that was like on her face. That she was wearing. That she was wearing like as to cover her eyes while she slept. (laughs) And the rat chewed through, which means it was on her face. And then I found out it chewed through my backpack, and this really upset me because it was a brand new backpack from Mech, and I really liked it, and it was ruined. I know, and I remember it was through one of your straps, too, and that's when we thought, okay, these aren't just rats looking for food, these are vindictive rats. So that night, we were terrified because by that point, we had seen too many omens, and we were no longer naive. Um... So I remember we were... So this is night two. Yeah, night this is two. night two. Night two. Night I'll two. also note that we, although we were traumatized in the morning, the beautiful day we spent on the beach, you kind of, it's sort of like an abusive relationship. Something really bad happens and then like you have the best day and you forget all about the abuse. So like all day I was like, this is great. And I totally forgot about the rats. But then as soon as it got dark, I was like, I'm terrified of the rats again. <laughs> Wait, our second night, did you already sleep? I think you didn't even sleep with us. In, no, in the... I didn't. I was too scared. No. Yeah, you might have been in the common lounge area, which is a whole nother story. <laughs> so, and this actually explains a lot because we noticed the first night that there were a bunch of people sleeping in the main lodge in hammocks. And we discovered that this was because if you're suspended, the rats can't get to you. And this is what I did on night two. I was like, no way. I'm not dealing with those rats. So I slept in a hammock. Mm-hmm. But you guys went to the cabin. We... I, I remember thinking that I, I remember <laughs> going back with you in solidarity, Joy. I was like, yeah, Joy's going. Think, I'll go too. I think on the second night, I still was like, this can't be that bad. Like, I'll just put some my earphones in so I can't hear the squeaks and I'll ignore it. But I had also found a stick on the beach, like, just to pacify. I didn't know if it was paranoia in my mind at this point or, like, a mixture of paranoia and reality. But I was like, okay, I'm going to keep this big stick by my bed. If I see 
um, like a chunky thing moving in my bed. I can just poke it. And then it'll get it away from me. Your rat stick. <laughs> I remember. So the way that we were um, like situated in the cabin was that Joy and I were both on top bunks next kind of like across from each other right. um so i could see joy <laughs> sleeping with her stick <laughs> and then i i didn't have one I, I remember making fun of you but then i felt very scared without protected <laughs> so i also <laughs> so i remember being like okay i, I should have gotten a rat stick but whatever i'll be okay um so i think both of us had our headphones in because i remember also thinking i'll just blast i think i was like listening to lana del rey yeah. <laughs> I think you had fallen asleep by this point, Joy, and I was yeah. wide awake. Um, so I'm a very light sleeper, um, and it takes me a long time to fall asleep, too. So I was just wide awake listening to Lana, and I looked down on the ground because I kind of kept, I was very anxious. So I kept looking around the room, <laughs> looking around my bed, looking at the ceiling, and then I see on the ground a water bottle moving by itself. <gasps> next to the wall and I was like no and then I rose like I kind of sat up in my bunk and I make eye contact with somebody else across the room (laughs) who has also risen and is like staring at the water bottle moving and then bit by bit we see this giant rat emerge from the wall and little hands grabbing the water bottle through a hole that it couldn't fit so it's just this water bottle trying to... It's just a plastic water bottle. It was awful. And I just remember, like, staring at the person. And we just both were petrified with fear. Joy was asleep with her rat stick. I was... <laughs> and I wish I had it. So. Safe and sound for the moment. I do remember, though, the next morning, oh Joy God. set down her rat stick, um, like, by her shoes. And we saw another rat stick beside it that someone yes. else also had. We were like, oh, someone else had the same idea. (laughs) So that was night two. And after this night, none of us had slept. I slept terribly in the hammock. I slept pretty terribly, but got some sleep. (laughs) Some sleep. So Joy was okay, but we had a little, we had a conference about it and decided that we could only do one more night. I think we had booked five nights on Rat Island. Five, but the third was our last night. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we had resolved that we were going to escape Rat Island the the following morning. Um, And it turns out that's quite difficult because it seemed like the hostel staff didn't want us to leave because every time we asked them to get us a boat, they would just be like, oh, we have to check the schedule. And that's all they would say. It was so sketchy. And later on, so this person we met... Um, had tried to leave the island and waited for the boat at a certain time, and it never came. It so never he just came. came back to the hostel, kind of resigned <laughs> to his fate. So at this point, we had joined forces uh, with two really lovely women that we met there who were equally traumatized by Rat Island. Um, and we joined forces deciding that we would find a way off the island together. Um, they had only been there for one night and they were already done. And we had invited them. We're like, <laughs> yeah. come to this great place with us. Whoops. We felt responsible. <laughs> I think it's also important to note that there's no Wi-Fi on Rat Island. So... It's actually quite hard. Like, you need someone to get you a boat. Um, So we were lucky because we met this Cambodian guy who hooked up a boat for us. So third night, 
we didn't sleep at all. Um, the next morning we checked out and we went straight to the beach because we were like, this is it. We're waiting for that boat. And we did. And we got out. And we lived to tell the tale. My backpack didn't, though. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we will say the hostel itself wasn't great. Um, we, I don't know that I would recommend anyone go there, but I'm not going to say the name of the hostel because no. I don't want to, I don't want to publicly shame them. We should say, we should also mention, so when we escaped this part of the island, we just went to the other side by boat and it was an actual fishing village with a community and we were like, why didn't we come here in the first place? And we ended up spending a night there in a lovely little hotel that was run by really nice people. And we had such a great time. And in retrospect, we wish that we had spent our whole time there. So we're not saying don't go to Korong Simloam. <laughs> we're just saying don't go to the rat part. <laughs> So that's the story of Rat Island, uh, also known as Korong Simloam in Cambodia. Um, so that's all we're doing for today. But in closing, how how did you guys feel about Cambodia overall as a destination? So I loved it. Um, this trip was my first time traveling outside of the continent. Um, I mostly, probably my favorite thing was just the people too. Everybody was so generous. Um, Everyone's really kind. Like we, we just felt mm-hmm. so welcomed, and yeah, everybody's really warm. Mm-hmm. I liked a lot of things about it. And thinking back, we saw quite a bit of Cambodia. Um, we went to an elephant sanctuary that was Cambodian run. Um, it was just beautiful being in the jungle and being able to sleep there, and then uh, going on this eight-hour hike where it rained and there <laughs> <Yeah>. was mudslides. <laughs> But coming out at the other end feeling rejuvenated. And of course, we went to Kampat, which is a really popular destination, as well as um, Angkor Wat, obviously, and Siem Reap. Um, yeah, overall, we saw like quite a lot of Cambodia. And compared to other Southeast Asian countries that I've traveled in, I think like it might be one of my favorites because there were less tourists there. Um, so it felt, I felt like I had more of a Cambodian experience there than I did like comparatively in other Southeast Asian countries. Um, like in Thailand, you're kind of separated from Thai culture. So that, that made Cambodia really unique. And it was really easy to travel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we found all these things like you can take a postal office bus um, I think it was something like $8 per seat, and they would take you through the major um, towns. And the Wi-Fi was great. Very Wi-Fi connected. <laughs> yeah. Very Wi-Fi like connected, car. way more than parts of Europe and other places. Yeah, so overall, go to Cambodia. Just don't go to Rat Island unless, unless you like rats. Unless you're into that kind of thing. Well, that's all for today. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening. If you're interested in reading more about travel in Cambodia, you can go to my website, which is www.pinatravels.org. That's Pina, P-I-N-A, travels.org. 
Uh, I actually have an itinerary for Cambodia up on the website if you're interested in going there. The itinerary includes places that you should visit, a route you can use, um, and also budget information if you're a budget-savvy traveler like I am. Um, And I'll also tell you guys, this is the first podcast I've ever recorded in my life. Uh, I'm really critical of podcasts when I listen to them, so I would really like to hear your input. Um, Please feel free to contact me through my website, or you can shoot me an email. That's pina at pinatravels.org, because I'd really like to hear what you liked or what you didn't like about listening to this podcast. Um, In the show notes, I'm going to include contact information for Senna and Joy, the two guests on today's podcast, in case you want to see what they're up to. And that brings me to thank yous. Thank you for coming on the podcast, guys. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's fun.